Hello and welcome to another episode of the Book of Sports podcast where two Christian sporting nuffies talk about the relationship between sport and faith. Today, with me as always is Nathan the Pilgrim Brewer. <laughs> Why am I the Pilgrim? The Pilgrim. Well, that will become abundantly clear, my friend, as we get into the Holy Grail. I'm your host, Tim Schooler, with you as always. Also with us today is a special guest to help us mm-hmm. to uh, unpack, pick through all the ins and outs, the ups and downs, the all-arounds of the AFL Grand Final that is coming up this weekend. It is the AFL Grand Final. It is the holy grail of the AFL season, but that special guest is one Nick Baglin. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Nathan. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caster. <laughs> very good. Very good to have you with us. Uh, now, you are a two-time AFL Grand Final best on ground, the under-10s against Borco. The under-12s against French's Forest. I played in the under-12s day. That was a, a cruel day for us. Um, but two-time two best on ground uh, in AFL Sydney Juniors. How? What are your reflections on that many years on? Um, I don't really remember too much about them, to be honest. I remember the, the three years following 2012 far uh, far better. Uh, as you know, Tim, we, we had a three-peat, so that was, that was pretty special. Including an undefeated grand final uh, season, undefeated season and followed by the grand final win in the under-15s. What a year that was. Um, now, if, if I remember correctly, this is just a little trip down memory lane, Nick, but we had uh, your under-10s, uh, when you, you won the best on ground under-10s, that was a uh, when we were in different teams and that was in the midst of the Westbrook-Borco rivalry where you were trading... Um, grand final best on grounds with Nathan Gordon. Would that be right? That would be correct, yeah. Uh, back then, I was always the smallest. Um, and then we hit under 12s and I was still the smallest and everyone was significantly bigger. So, But yeah, Nathan Gordon, yeah, he was um, he was the champion from Borco. Went on to play two games for the Swans and 21 games for Richmond. That's it. Nipper, he was uh, a great little player. Great annoyance to us who played against him, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was a good guy. Um, and you are the general manager of North Sydney Oval. Yeah, I'm the yeah the venue manager, yeah. so Venue manager. Yeah. Uh, I've been there for – I actually started uh, 2nd of March last year, so I only know a COVID world at, uh, at North Sydney Oval. So for any of our listeners, if you need a hand at North Sydney Oval, Nick's the, the guy to ask. Um, Nick, now we will get into the AFL Grand Final and those kind of things, but we just need to do a little bit more – uh, reminiscence uh, because you were reminding me last week of uh, some cricketing exploits that we shared and uh, believe it or not I've actually dug up the scorebook from um, the 11th of February 2005 where you and I shared a 157 run partnership for Ooh. the fourth wicket uh, sorry for the third wicket um, at Mount Karingai against Castle Hill RSL what a day that was. <laughs> Wasn't it? I think I contributed maybe 30 runs of that 150. Um, but it was certainly a pleasure being out in the middle to see one of the uh, best batting performances I've, uh, I've ever seen. Well, it was th- 37, so you've cut yourself short a little bit. Um, <laughs> you were run out for 39 eventually, but your 37 con- mm-hmm. was your contribution to the partnership. Um, yours was the, the solid, technically correct um, part of the equation, and mine was just... Um, 
have a bit of hit and giggle and a few came off well. So If I remember, um, yeah, there was a few sixes in there that uh, certainly went into orbit. You found the middle of the bat that day. I did, I did, which is um, probably more luck than skill, to be honest. But it was, uh, it was good, good memories. And it's just a, a reminder that our, our sporting pursuits go back uh, many, many years. And mm-hmm. so it's great to have you on. Uh, as a guest for the Book of Sports. Now, um, we have uh, the Holy Grail is the name of the episode, and that's because, well, in 2005, in that year, between 2002 and 2006, Holy Grail by Hunters and Collectors was Channel 10's theme music for uh, their AFL coverage, and there was the the image that controlled it was the picture of the Premiership Cup, and um, that was the Holy Grail that AFL teams were pursuing. Of course, the Swans famously won that in 2005, um, but uh, that's the that's given us our theme for today, the Holy Grail. And um, Nick, you're here to help us um, unpack previewing and get get ready for all of that because you you know what it takes to perform in grand finals. But before we get to that, Nathan, you got some obscure stats for us when it comes to the demons and the dogs. Yes, yes, I do. And um, yeah, I just want to you know give you guys kudos for a 157 run partnership in juniors. That's the equivalent of like a 500 run partnership at the adult level. So um, yeah, that's a that's a big a big kudos to you guys. And then also voice a little gripe that um, when we've relived my cricket memories, it was the worst memory of my sporting career. But um, Tim gets to reminisce on a 120 plus innings. So I think that's a little bit. I've been a little bit hard done by there, Tim. But um, that's all right. We'll, um... Well, hundred, look, 110, 110. You've got to remember, junior cricket, there's a lot of sundries. Okay. Okay. So, did uh, you work yeah. out, Tim? Did you did you bring your 100 up with a six? Oh, sure. I'm very happy that we've returned to this subject to talk about it again. <laughs> uh, no, I. it looks like I brought it up with a four and then I hit yeah, a six no. um, no. straight after. That's so, okay. That's good. That's um, a good way to celebrate your ton. That's right. It was a slog sweep over mid-wicket. Glorious shot, that one, if I remember yeah. correctly. That's good. That's good. So, But we, we were all out as a team. We were all out for 224 that day, so it was. Uh, so we shared the 157 run partnership. There was a total of 30 sundries, and we we're all out for 224. So, um, 70% of your runs, that was a you boys, that partnership. So well done, exactly, right. pretty much exactly 70%. So well done. That's that's carrying a team. So there you go. That's an obscure stat in itself, but yes, it's good to be thinking about. The Holy Grail, because for a lot of AFL teams, um, winning an AFL Premiership would feel like a Holy Grail because so many teams have had absolute marathon uh, streaks of not winning it. And so Melbourne has the fourth longest streak ever Um, right now. They're at 56 seasons without a title. And so I thought for the start of the obscure stat, I'll get you guys to guess the other teams in the top five. Um, and I'll give you a hint. Two of those, two of those streaks have been broken this century. So, Tim, I'll let you guess number one: longest AFL drought ever. I'm going to go for the Sydney Swans to 72 years mm. broken in 2005. Yeah, 72 years South Melbourne slash Sydney, 1933 to 2005. Yes, well done. All right, Nick, number two. <laughs> not uh, not a was, it, was it Richmond? Ooh, no, is it Melbourne? I think Melbourne team. 68 seasons. This is a hard one. This is 1897 till 1965. So this is this is rough. So uh, it'd be um, the Western Bulldogs. They're 2016. Ooh, that's the third one. 62. That's a good guess. Okay. Yep, your third. Um, they have not won a title for a long time, this team. So um, Melbourne-based. They've played, yeah, yeah, Melbourne-based. I think lost. 
lost a couple of finals. Um, St Kilda. St Kilda. That's good. Actually, oh, there you go. St Kilda have the second and the fifth longest streak. So they are just a hot mess. Um, so there's your streak. Famously, famously tied the grand final yes. in 2010. 10. Yep. And lost in 09 as well. So rough. Yeah. Rough going for them. So you got Sydney 1, St Kilda 2, Bulldogs 3, Melbourne 4, St Kilda again at 5. So, um, you know. Be on compassion to the St Kilda fans. It's been a rough go. But I've been looking for an obscure stat for each of the teams as to why just, they're going to break. Just quickly on that, Nate. Just, yep. Nathan, before yeah, we jump into the obscure stats, the uh, one of the more remarkable things, and I, I'm quite sure this is the case, one of the more remarkable things about Melbourne's um, stretch is that the last premiership in, uh, was it 66? 64. 65? 64. 64 um, I'm yeah. pretty sure they sacked their coach after winning the the premiership <laughs> that year. That's so it's been yeah. talked about as the the demon's curse. I think I'm right yeah. on that. If I'm wrong, well, then I apologise to everyone. Well, Tim, is good. it true that you can name every grand final winner dating back to a certain period of time? Uh, no, I don't. Well, <laughs> no. or was it Brownlow medalist? Get, yeah, 2000, um, 2018. You can go back to my. Yeah. My my brother memorized Brownlow medal winners wow. back to the sixties or something, um, and part of the reason why I have any scrap of knowledge, and I'm pretty hazy on a lot of it, but the only real reason why I have it is because I hadn't needed to keep up with my brother um, growing up. Was, he loves a stat, my brother, and um, yeah. yeah, so he was all over. The, it was the Brownlow medalist, Nick. That's that's I knew that's good was, knowledge. I knew it was one or the other. I was <laughs> no, I, well. I didn't remember it was you, if it was you or him, but yeah. Oh, you've done well there. You've done very well. That's very good. All right. Yes. So that's um we got we got so the obscure sap for Melbourne is that I believe that the teams with the longest streaks have been tag teaming it on to the next one. So what I mean by that is Sydney had a seventy two year drought, broke it. Then the Western Bulldogs broke their drought and with their their record drought by beating Sydney. And so now I believe Melbourne are going to break their record drought by knocking off the Western Bulldogs. And then perhaps in Kilda will break their record drought by beating Melbourne. So I think you're seeing these teams with these record droughts passing the title on to the next one coming along. And so I think the Western Bulldogs... So that's a pro-Melbourne stat. Yes, I think the Western Bulldogs are going to be very gracious and uh, and chuck Melbourne a, um, a nice 2020... 2021 premiership now in saying that in the tipping comp i will be tipping the western bulldogs but that is a strategic tip and not a um not an obscure stat tip so um well we'll get to the tipping comp shortly yep. nathan but give us an obscure stat for the uh the dogs to win yes the western bulldogs the only the other time western bulldogs have only uh in this century only finished with 60 points and in the bottom four of the top eight uh twice and the other time they snuck away with the premiership. So they've got 60 points. They're in the bottom four of the top eight. They're into the grand final. And so this is just 2016 repeating itself. Um, no one's expecting them. They're up against a team that's superior favourites. It's just history repeats itself. And um, the doggies um, are looking really good. So, um, And Sydney Swans, before they passed the baton onto the Western Bulldogs to break their drought, they won two titles. And so the Bulldogs are not ready to pass on the baton because they need to win their second title before they pass the baton on the Melbourne. So 
that's where uh, that's where my obscure stats are taking me. So there's your case if you're a bulldog, and there's your, your case if you're a demon as well. I like that, Nathan. Thank you. Now let's take that on to uh, the tipping comp then to finish up. Now, Nick, you haven't been a part of the tipping comp thus far, but we'll certainly take your tip for the AFL Grand Final. Nathan, let's kick off with you. You, uh, the only statistical chance you have is to pick the Bulldogs. So the question is, what can you get the margin? Yes. So yes, I got to get the Bulldogs. So I'll take the Bulldogs, and every game has either been a blow. Pretty much every game in these finals has been a blowout or a really close one, and so. I need to go a margin of less than five or a margin of over 40. So I'm going to take the Bulldogs by um, 51 for a real boil over. I've got to demolish the Demons. So Demons will just come out. They're a bit nervous. They'll choke. Bulldogs have been there before, done it in the last five years. We'll take the Doggies by 51. What an underwhelming grand final that would be if that happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bags, what do you got for us? I'm going to go the D's by uh, 20 points. D's by 20. I yeah. like that. I'm tipping the D's as well. Uh, I I think it'll be a close one. I'm going to tip the D's by four. Okay. Uh, I think the dogs will um, will be there, thereabouts. Uh, so, Nick, you are you know what it takes to perform in an AFL grand final. Tell us, what are you expecting to see on the day? I think it'll be a really, really close match. The, the, the midfield, the two teams have two of the best midfields in the competition at the moment. Um, and I think it's going to be who can who can stop the stars or who can who can manage the superstars on each team before um, to to really decide the winner. Um, uh, it, it, listening to I was listening to the the expert experts last night um, on AFL three hundred and sixty, and they, were, they the question was asked why the tag isn't there anymore. And it's just there there are too many good players to to tag now. You tag one person like Bontempelli. And then McRae gets off, or Liberatore gets off, or you tag um, Clayton Oliver, and you know you've got Viney and Petrarca on the other hand. So it'll be a midfield battle. I think the fact that uh, you know Maxi Gorn seems to be in pretty uh, tip-top shape at the moment, and, and five straps. goals in a preliminary final, if you don't mind. Goodness, oh. Maxi Gorn, what a performance! And and a few of them were pretty agile for a big fella. So uh, he he certainly performed. I just I like the look of Melbourne. I agree. I, I think Melbourne look good, and and I am very interested to see what happens in the midfield battle because I, I think you're right. That's where it's going to be won or lost. There's question marks over the dogs' forward line, but I think they've got enough people who can step up on the day if need be to kick them the bag. But it'll be about what I, I think it's it's in Melbourne's hands. I think they do need to tag, and the teams who've done well against the dogs this year have tagged Liberatore out of the game. He's the in and out. He's the in and under who. who farms the ball out to your your Bontempelli's and the, those outside ball users. And I think where, if Melbourne can, they're obviously going to win the, the ruck battle with Max Gorn and they will, if they can get on top of Liberatore and make sure that he doesn't um, get too much of the footy, then I can't see the way that the dogs win the clearances. And if therefore the Melbourne have got hit outs and clearances, I think it's theirs to, it's theirs to lose. So um that's that's how I see it playing. Now, there's a lot of talk, Nick, about the Melbourne backline, uh, Lever and May um, being the well, two of the premier defenders in the game, and um, people who are sort of start Melbourne's rebound from there. Uh, what do the dogs need to do to have effective ball movement inside fifty in attack? I think they need to to stop. 
um, Lever being the intercept defender. They need they need to get that matchup where whether it's um, Norton or, or Shacky, almost if it's Shacky that tags him. Um, the defensive forward role. A defensive forward role, just to stop him. He doesn't. Shacky doesn't have to kick a bag or take te- you know three or four contested marks, but he's just got to stop Lever from marking the footy. Um, there will be question marks over Stephen May and his hamstring. Um, yes, good quote. So will they then test him? Will they try and drag him up the ground and really put a bit of work into him uh, and, and stretch that that hamstring out? I think if you can get those two right, then you know, the dogs the dogs really do have a shot. That's a helpful point. Do you do you play a Tim English on uh, on May then as the to to try and move him around the field? No, I think Norton is probably still the go. Uh, I don't think May can compete air, you know, in the air as well as um, Lever. So Norton certainly got the leap, but just keep moving him. Just almost instead of playing that deep full forward role, play a true centre half forward role, and just you know the Nick Rewalt of of just getting up and back from contest to contest, and and then working back towards goal a lot lot harder than than Stephen will. No, that's a good point. I'll tell you, as as a man who plays centre half back. There is nothing worse than a centre half forward who just wants to run you around all day. It is the most frustrating thing in the game. Um, so I, I, I think that's right. I, look, I think if um, if the dogs can uh, mitigate the threat of Lever and May, uh, and that's a good point about May's just a slight question mark over his fitness, um, it does give the dogs a bit of a, a bit of a chance as they as they move forward. Um, one final question, and uh, this is not part of the official tipping comp, but I'm interested to see where you go. Who wins the Norm Smith? I think Jack Viney. Wow. Um, he he has been very underrated this year. He's been in and out with injuries, but his effort in the prelim, I think he had 28 disposals, um, of which... Uh, I don't have the exact figure, but a fair few of them were contested. Him playing his role and getting plenty of the football just allowed Petrarca and Oliver just to do their thing. Um, Petrarca to go forward and kick goals. Oliver worked back in defence. But I think Viney, if if he can have another game like he did in the prelim, he'd be a real crack at the Norm Smith. I like that. I'm going to go for another Melbourne midfielder and say Clayton Oliver. I think Clayton Oliver has been arguably the best player of the season. Um, this year, I think he's a supremely talented footballer and very hardworking. I love, I love watching him get around the footy field. So he's my tip for Norm Smith. Um, Brewer, do you have a tip for Norm Smith medalist? Mm, yeah, so the doggies are going to win by fifty-one. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, yeah, goodness me. So I guess we'll go um, Bontempelli, big forward. Yeah, um, fifty-one. I think if point. the dogs win by fifty-one, Bontempelli will have to have a. 45 disposal game and kick six. <laughs> so, uh, and if he yeah, does, he'll probably in. win the Norm Smith. <laughs> <laughs> so book him in. And, uh, yeah, book in those doggies. So congratulations to them in advance. So two tiles in five years is impressive. So um, shout out. Shout out to the doggies. With an almost completely different um, starting 22 mm. for the uh, for the grand final side, I think there's – there's uh, maybe five or six who are still there from 2016. So there's been a complete overhaul of the squad, which is credit to Luke Beveridge, um, the doggies coach. He's done an amazing job with that um, 
with that club. Now we've we're talking Holy Grail. Uh, we that's where the the path we're onto. Um, that's what the AFL clubs are, are doing. Melbourne and Western Bulldogs are just one win away from having their hands on the Holy Grail. I thought what we would do today, boys, is that we would take a little bit of a, a journey through um, the past and dig into church history and see, well, wh- where does this whole idea of the Holy Grail come from? And it's, it's, I say church history. It's kind of English royal mythology. Um, it's the time of King Arthur. And there was this mythology of the Holy Grail, and this is certainly not my strong point when it comes to uh, Wikipedia searches of church history, but a grail is a cup. That's hence why the Channel 10 used it for their um, their AFL coverage. And supposedly, as I understand it, if Wikipedia can be relied upon, there was a there was a, supposedly a cup that Jesus drank from, and this is therefore because mm-hmm. Jesus drank from it's supposed to be this holy cup. And um, there was, uh, you know, there were quests to get it. And I, I, I'm not sure of this, but I think there are links to the, uh, the Crusades, a very regrettable incident through church history, uh, because I think that the idea was that the Holy Grail was there and that that was needed to be reclaimed from, um, from the Holy Land. Uh, it brings up the whole question of relics, people who had these things in the medieval church. They believed that it was, you know, this is something that Jesus drank from, or this was, you know, a, a bit of someone's hair, or this was a, a, a cut from the from Jesus' cross. I think it was Martin Luther who said, if you combined all the relics from Jesus' cross, you'd have enough wood to build Noah's Ark, which was his way of saying that some people are playing fast and loose with the uh, hist- historicity of some of these objects. But that's the uh, that's the Holy Grail. That's where it comes into um, existence, where the idea comes from, and. When it comes to the song, the Hunters and Collectors song, it's a, um, so I woke up this morning with this from the strangest dream. I was in the biggest army the world has ever seen. We were marching as one on the road to the Holy Grail and it's part of this Crusaders um, sort of quest, but it's also linking in with, as I found out again today, Hunters and Collectors' inability to make it big in the United States as a band. And so that was the Holy Grail for them. They were trying to make it big as a, uh, force in the, the musical world. But what's interesting is that they get to the end of the song and they say, I've been searching for an easy way to escape the cold light of day. I've been high and I've been low, but I've got nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to go. I followed orders. God knows where I'd be, but I woke up alone. All my wounds were clean. I'm still here. I'm still a fool for the Holy Grail. And that's how the song ends. And so the song ends with this still, well, I haven't really got it yet, but I'm still going forward. I'm still searching for something because I just, what else can I do? You've just got to keep moving on and, and find something, which is a an interesting way to finish the song when this is a, a quest. You know, the purpose of a quest is to reach the end, but they're saying, well, we're just sort of waking up another day and, and going uh, as we go. Um, I suppose that's what the loser of the AFL Grand Final does. You know, they don't, uh, they don't claim the Holy Grail, but they go, well, maybe next year. And that's, mm-hmm. what, um, that's what the journey of AFL is all about. Um, I was talking with you, Nick, a bit about um, your uh, reflections on spirituality and, and your journey with those things. Because you're uh, you're not a Christian, you've, you've hung around churches a bit, but that's not really your thing. Um, does that idea of um, a quest and the sort of the searching for the Holy Grail does that have any resonance for you? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, I've never, never really actually sat back and, and and listened to the lyrics of 
of the song before either, like, and really thought about it in, in more depth, apart from the fact that I just always had that association with the AFL Grand Final. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a really interesting uh, thought process. Yeah, it's good. And we were talking last week and you were talking a little bit of, um, even though you haven't had an uh, inf- uh, interaction with um, Christianity as such as searching for that, there's been a a spirituality perhaps you'd, you'd call it in significant moments of your life. Um, do you want to reflect on those for a bit for us? Yeah, so uh, I guess it's just the way I, I look at it and, you know, I'm sure other people will say there's 101 different reasons for it. But, you know, I've, I've had some interesting experience just around, um, around a few deaths that I had in my family. And so when I was a young boy, I was about 10, um, my pop died. And a couple of days, I think it was the day after, I was at um, my uncle and, and auntie's house and in, playing in the front yard with my cousin and they were in quite a, a leafy place. And this, this bird, this big, bright yellow bird that had no real place um, being there, uh, flew down, landed on my shoulder, sat there for five, ten seconds, flew off, landed on my cousin's shoulder and then flew off again and had never heard, seen from it since, didn't see it again. We were around, I was around that place a lot. Um, and it was just a real, it just, it was a really calming experience from, I guess, you know, losing a, a, a grandparent to, to having that. And it was almost the way I've taken it is like, you know, it was just a, a pop coming to say, Hey, look, I'm here. It's going to be okay. Um, you know, I've, I've had other experiences so after my mum passed away. Um, you know, again, it could just be my imagination or I've wanted, I've really wanted it, but I've, I've had times where I felt like I've woken up and almost felt her presence. Um, it's just been a really calming thing for me. Yeah, um, wow. and I, I bring a lot of peace from that, um, yeah, wow. I, thanks for sharing those things, Matt, because obviously they're very personal memories for you and, and from significantly um, difficult times in in life. And I, you know, my, I didn't know your pop, but certainly my, I've got very clear memories of, you, of your mum doing sort of everything around the, the footy, club, footy club growing up. Any, any social occasion, you know, Tracy had her hands all over it and was a, was a remarkable woman in many ways. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it was such a, a sadness for um, for the footy club when she passed, and that was a yeah, such a, a tough thing to. Uh, I don't know if we've ever spoken about it, but such a tough thing to you know to know that your family was going through um, that grieving process. Um, yeah, look, it, I'm not going to sit here and say it's an easy thing to go through, but you know. It, everybody goes through something like this at some stage in life. And unfortunately for us, it was a little sooner than we, we wanted to, but you know, I guess much like a church, you know, the, the footy club was my community and, you know, they, the, the people that rallied around us were, were instrumental in helping us get over that. And you know, it's, it was, you know, as you say, it, it we may, we haven't spoken about it necessarily, Tim, but I also know that, you you were there to you'd be there to support if I needed, and that that's a really comforting thing to have as well. Mm. Yeah, I think there is there's real value in communities in those times, isn't there? And 
um, knowing that there is something bigger than yourself and there are people mm. who, whether you reach out to them or not, there's, knowing that there's people there is, is, a, is a comfort um, in those times. So if, if you don't mind me asking, you, you're saying, you know, this idea that perhaps it was your mum sort of who was spe- reaching out to you or, or your pop through this bird. Do you believe that there is a, an, an afterlife of sorts? Do you, because you're um, atheistic slash agnostic, not quite sure where you stand on those things, but, but are you saying that you, you, you do believe that there is something beyond the here and now? Yeah, look, I certainly like to think that in some way, you know, mum's looking down on me and my family and just taking, taking care of us. Um, what, what that is or, or where that comes from, I, I don't know. But mm. that's, it's, it's a comfort and to think that, that that is something that she actually is, is doing. So, Yeah. Yeah, no, fascinating. And again, thanks for, for sharing. Um, I suppose we're, you know, we're talking about the, the holiness um, of the grail because of this idea that you know, Jesus had drunk from it in some way it's set apart. Nathan, um, holiness in, in the Bible, where, where, does that, where does that take us? What, what, is, what is holiness? Mm, yeah, it's, um, it's one of those um, really obscure words. And I think probably most people associate it with someone who is very righteous and, and lives a very good, you know, religious life. They'll associate holiness with that. Um, but I think holiness sort of means set apart or, or special, uh, something that's set apart for a special purpose to be, to, to achieve something. And so um, when we think about the holiness Ultimately, the ultimate holy person is God Himself, and so um, no one is holier than Him. He's the most He's the most set apart and separate um, uh, person in in all the in all you can imagine. And so, um, and then we get this wonderful picture uh, in in Isaiah six, where the holiness is so great and so awesome of God that it's actually intimidating. It's actually scary. It's so good and so big and so massive that we get these these beings called seraphim which are just angelic beings we don't know much about them but they're intimidated they're covering their eyes um and as soon as isaiah steps into the presence of something someone so holy and so separate he sort of goes oh man i woe to me he says i'm ruined I've, I've, i'm an unclean man and i've stepped in the presence of ultimate ultimate holiness like i'm in big big trouble i don't measure up to this um and so yeah, God's holiness is this. He's so awesome and good and pure and perfect in every way that when um, sinners like you and me and Isaiah step in his presence, we're, um, we're intimidated a bit. And um, But the really beautiful thing in Isaiah 6 is that God, um, you know, sends a seraphim over there and, and cleans him and says, no, no you, can, you can be in my presence. I've cleansed you. And so God doesn't go, oh, I'm this awesome being. You're, you're unholy, you're cooked when you stand in front of me. You know, he, he comes and, and reaches out and cleanses us. And ultimately, ultimately in the New Testament, that's Jesus, you know, the ultimate holy one coming and taking on human flesh and, and reaching out and cleaning us. So um, holy is sort of separate otherness being supremely awesome. And yet um, God, in spite of having that status, is, um, lowers himself and, and takes on, comes and reaches out to us rather than staying separate. So it's intimidating, but God, um, God is very gracious, even from His holy position. 
and that's the ultimate hope for Christians is that there is a life after death and that it is a guaranteed life after death because of what, of what Christ has done for us in, in taking away, um, in taking away our sin. Um, and there's so much hope for that, um, for Christians. Um, the very first book of sports episode we did was called hope and thinking about, you know, there's the uncertain hope of sport, but there's the certain hope of, um, of Christianity. Um, it might be an unfair thing to ask of you, Nick, but as you hear that, do you, um, do you wish there was greater certainty about that other realm? Um, I don't have a definitive answer for you to, to be true, truly honest. Is it, I guess I'm, I'm at peace with where, and I, I get great peace from where I'm at with it, that, um, chasing or, or seeking other answers, um, I think will, will, while it would, you know, it, it would be a challenge. I, I'm comfortable with where I'm at with it. Mm. Um, but you know, they like, I certainly haven't had it explained to me or, or, or heard of it spoken about in that way before either. So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly an interesting, interesting, um, way to way to view it from my from my point of view yeah 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 no i appreciate that response and it's such a big question right like you need time to to chew over these things and to to work them out um and that's a very wise response i think in in many ways um but my my hope and this is you know pastor's hat on i go you know i think there's um there's goodness and there is there is life found and i don't want to um disagree with the the peace that you have i don't want to sort of trivialize that but i think there's there's something better for you and there's a better solution that is found um by coming to the cross and sort of going on this pilgrim's journey to find well what is this this holy grail um you know the the, the source of true holiness but um that's something you got to work out in your own time and something that you got to um yeah you got to make that call so um, it's a good, uh, it's a good thing to have before you and, um, whether it's a comfort or not, I don't know, but we might have a, a bunch of book of sports listeners who are praying for you and praying that, um, that you might sort of take that journey and, and see where it takes you. Um, but, uh, it's a good thing and it's a good, um, I, well, from my perspective, I think it's a good thing that there's, uh, there's people who want that good for you. Um, Nick's been such a delight, mate, and you've been really, really generous in sharing really openly with us, and I'm really uh, appreciative of that. Uh, you, yeah, so thanks so much for coming on to the podcast today. No, thanks very much for having me, Tim. Appreciate it, and uh, thanks, Nathan. Um, and, yeah, certainly looking forward to, to future episodes as well. Absolutely. Always good to have you as a listener. To all our listeners, uh, make sure you uh, subscribe to the Book of Sports on your favourite podcatcher. This is our penultimate episode for the season uh, we will um, wrap up the AFL Grand Final and we might take a little bit of a break after that. Um, but make sure you subscribe because when we do come back for season two, if we do, that'll be the way that you're notified about it. And uh, if you've benefited from this, I uh, would love you to share this with just one friend who you reckon should listen to it. Um, give them a personal commendation and we'd appreciate that. Until next time, this has been Tim, Nick and Nathan on The Book of Sports.